The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. Father God, you said to Solomon, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear them from heaven and I will heal their land and Peter's great message on the day of Pentecost he gave the the challenge repent that times of refreshing may come God, we love to be a people that seek your face. And God, we love to gather even in large groups to pray. But God, I praise you that this morning we've had testimony. And there are many others of us in this place who could give testimony that the, the times of refreshing don't come until we stand broken, repentant before you. And so, God, we just come and offer ourselves as we are. Take us and use us, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. After I'd finished putting my message together, I thought there were actually three terms that I wanted just to touch on before I um, get into my message this morning. The first is God's dominion, the second is God's kingdom, and the third is God's church. And it's easy to mix the three of them up. God's dominion, God rules and reigns over the whole universe. This is his dominion. We were given dominion over the animals and over the earth, and we surrendered that, but God has dominion over the whole earth. If we think of God's kingdom, that's where his will is done. Jesus prayed, they said that we should pray, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So where God has given rulership, where God has given authority, where people submit and do what God says, there is his kingdom. And then there is a subset within that which is his church. Those who have been born again into the body of Christ. There are many people who do kingdom things, but who are not in the body. They are not of the kingdom. Any time anyone does something which reflects the heart and mind of God, the kingdom of God is extended. See, we've had a society which has been based and born out of a Christian ethic. And we have lived that way and we have been blessed that way in the past. Now, lots of people in New Zealand didn't believe in Jesus Christ. They didn't follow Jesus, they weren't in the church, they weren't in the body of Christ, but they lived in a way that honoured God's will, and so God's kingdom was extended. So you can be doing the right things, but if you're not in the body of Christ, if you don't have relationship with Jesus Christ as the head, there's a whole new place to be. God calls us into his family and he has us into the body 
of Christ. Anyone else got any questions on that discussion? They're happy to have a discussion. But that's the way I've sort of pieced it for myself over the years and I've heard others teach it. But I have to say, to start off with, I was really encouraged by last Sunday's lunch. I'm one of those people who like to have a backup plan. And so when Margaret and I went out last Saturday afternoon and brought the bread rolls, which we said we were contributing to the lunch, we also made sure we had an extra supply of cold meat and salads in the fridge so that if there wasn't enough stuff, because I've seen that happen before, that we would pull that out and bring it. Some might say I haven't had enough faith. Some would say I've had too much experience. But we ended up with more than enough. And so the cold meat and the salad that we had bought extra went home and that became part of our uh, sustenance for the week as a family. Last week, I think, was the first time since I've been at the chapel that we had it as a bring a plate or a platter. In the past, we've had this great process that's worked really well where we would have a team that would cater and we would invite others just to bring a koha towards the, uh, uh, to help cover the cost. And that was great. But this is the first time that we've moved to what I've been used to in the past, is for everyone to bring something to the table. And as we gathered, the various plates arrived in the platters and after we finished the, message, the sermon and the meeting last Sunday, I went down the kitchen and I was like, where did this food just kept appearing from? And I was really encouraged because, see, for me, it's not about having a great lunch. There was, there was a great lunch and there was lots of food left over, but what encouraged me is that's such a perfect illustration, I believe, of what church should be. Everybody brings what they have. And everybody is fed. And in God's economy, and there is always more left over. A few weeks ago, as we did communion, we had a table here, and on the table we had the, the jigsaw. And as we came to take part in communion, we each came and placed a part in the puzzle to help complete the picture. Again, another picture of what this body of Christ should be like, how it should function. And then our sharing time this morning, as we have this openness and honesty, Each one brings what they have and each is encouraged and challenged by that. As we read in Ephesians 4.16, from him, from Christ, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament and it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, that's why I like the, the, the shared lunch idea. Because it reminds us that if we don't bring it to the table, that it's not there to be shared. But if everyone plays their part, the whole body is nourished and grows. This month's our key verse is Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. Or key verses. God's intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church is not a solo effort. Faith is not a solo effort.
to see this happen here to the degree that God intends it to happen here requires every person that he brings into this place every part of this body that each of us does the work that he's placed in our hands to do that he's assigned and that he's equipped us for and that doesn't stop here to see God's intent for the church fulfilled in its entirety would require every believer every home group every church congregation every denomination every parachurch organization and every business that is owned led or staffed by believers it requires all of us to step up and do the work that God has assigned and equipped us for it's not just about a church it's not even just about the the gathering of believers on a Sunday it's where you live and where you work in each of those places so last Sunday we read from Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 10 and we reflected on the on the truth about our salvation if we have accepted God's grace his free gift of salvation that is ours through the death and resurrection of Jesus in that moment as I said last Sunday we didn't get a life upgrade we didn't get a better life we're told that he took us from death to life in John Newton's word I was blind but now I see I was lost but now I'm found it's a total transformation we were justifiably under a death sentence and yet now we find ourselves seated with Christ in heavenly places the scripture tells us and we're invited to become part of his plan of salvation we have gone from condemned rebels to partners in the gospel and so this morning uh, the Apostle Paul is in prison probably under house arrest in Rome and he writes to the believers in Ephesus he says as a prisoner for the Lord then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received when I read that passage that's when I then decided I needed to speak last week about what I spoke about last week because until we understand the calling we have received until we understand that we have been taken from condemned rebels to partners in the gospel Stephen, Chris, you both Christian, you both shared that. You understand the calling that of God that is on our lives. And we can't continue in what we were. I've been there. And you suddenly go, actually, God's given me a higher calling. How dare I live down here when God has called me to so much more? Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. They can easily be misunderstood, but how different our world would be if we lived like that. 
From here, Paul goes on to talk about the foundation for such a hope, the foundation that God has laid for the unity of the Spirit and the way in which this unity is to be further established and strengthened. He says, there is one body. There's not a body in this church and a body in another church. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. Our unity is a spiritual reality. You know, I'm always fascinated when we're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That which God has done in us, we must learn to work out. The fact that God has done the work in us gives us the opportunity to see it worked out in our living. And so the fact that God has said that we are one gives us the opportunity to learn to live out that unity, that oneness. I was thinking about this imagery of being condemned rebels. Because we often don't think, you know, well, I'm glad you got saved because you were really, really bad. But I was thinking about going shopping going to Noel Eamings and you're walking along the fridge freezers and you're looking for a new fridge freezer. How big a dent needs to be in the front of it before you go, I'm not buying that one? Does it need to be this massive, just a little scratch on the front, you're going, that's not new? And for most people, they walk by, if it's my wife, they're going, how much can I get off it? Because it's not perfect, it doesn't need to be smashed up. And, and, and when it comes to our relationship with God, God is righteous and holy and it's not that he can't cope with big sins in his presence he can't allow any sin in his presence and we go oh well, all sins are the same well actually in many ways all sins are different as I say if you steal my car I'm not going to be happy if you steal one of my grandchildren it's a whole new story so we can't say that all sins are the same but in terms of our relationship with God as father and entering into his presence all sin separates us from him. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so Christ doesn't come and just go, here's a patch. He says, the old is gone, the new has come. There's that lovely phrase that we use sometimes, or you may have probably heard it, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I don't care whether you've lived 50 years of your life in absolute mess and come to Christ. Or whether you've kind of lived most of your life really well. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all together in this. We're all on a journey. And God can use any one of us just as well as he can use the other. What I want to share this morning is part of the reason why I struggle with the fact, oh, you're the pastor. And I know in a lot of churches, particularly island churches, 
they've taught to respect the pastor. But for me, it's, it's just the job I get here. It's my role, it's my calling within this place. But that doesn't make me better than anyone else in this place. That's why I value the sharing opportunity. I have a specific role, but it doesn't make me better. Hopefully it doesn't make me worse. But we all have a part to play here. From those who have walked for years on the path of righteousness and holiness to those who of us who have walked along and stumbled along the way. God is still at work in us and through us. You are called to one hope when you are called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. I think of the parable of those workers who went out into the field and they started in the beginning of the day and at the end of the day they got paid a certain wage and, and other workers went into the field at, at, at lunchtime and at the end of the day when they got paid, they got paid the same amount and others sort of come in at about half past three in the afternoon and at the end of the day they get paid the same amount. We're going, it's not fair. I think God wants to say it's not about being fair. God welcomes us all and puts us on an even footing. But there is a diversity within our unity that makes us productive. One of the biggest problems I have in churches is they bring you in and they're like a sausage machine. They want you to all turn out looking the same. Come and act like us, think like us, be like us. We have one head. That's the point of our unity. Christ as the head of the body. But to each one of us has given, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. And then Paul goes on to talk about, and we'll talk more next week, to introduce us, to address this idea of spiritual gifts. And so I looked up a couple of useful working definitions, the first one I hadn't seen before. Um, the guy apparently, the Southern Baptist former pastor, and now in a theological college, etc., etc. But he says, and it's a, a spiritual gift is an intervention an individual manifestation of grace from the Father that enables you to serve him and thus play a vital role in his plan for the redemption of the world. I like that. One I'm more used to is Peter Wagner's. Peter Wagner's has a lot of writing on spiritual gifts in years gone by. A special attribute given by the Holy Spirit to every member of the body of Christ according to God's grace for youth within the context of the body. Even as I'm looking at that now, I, I just actually have a little hiccup. The danger is when we see within the context of the body, we think that means here. But it's not here, because we are still the body when we walk out of that door. We are still doing the work of, the Christ, of Christ as the body of Christ. Paul continues. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended except it means that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all of the heavens in order to, fulfill, in order to fill the whole universe. This is one of those spots the commentator made the comment that, that Paul's going down this track and suddenly he sort of shoots off down this pathway. But he's drawing from um, Isaiah, not from Isaiah, from Psalm 68 verse 18 which talks of a king going out to, to conquer an enemy. And as he comes back, he leads the captives with him. And out of gratitude, the people give him gifts. 
but Paul puts a twist on it and he says, but hey, when Jesus returned to heaven, having taken captive sin and death, he gave gifts to the people. You know, people often have seen spiritual gifts as like, this is how we allocate jobs in the church. What's your gift? Let's allocate you that job. But it's not. Spiritual gifts are so much part, core part of God's redemptive plan for humanity. Not just the way to structure a church. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Next Sunday we're going to look a little bit closer at what a lot of these gifts are because there's only five gifts mentioned in that particular passage or part of the passage. But there are so many other gifts mentioned in the Bible. We'll talk more about that next week. But I want to note that this talks about an order to the spiritual gifts. There is a structure, there is a purpose behind them. And these five gifts the apostle, the prophets, the, evangel path, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, not only have a role within their own uh, gifting, but they also have a shared gifting together or a shared role together to equip the whole body for works of service. For example, Peter Wagner defines evangelists as those who, to share, uh, the gift of evangelists, to share the gospel with unbelievers in such a way that men and women become Jesus' disciples and responsible members of the body of Christ. But just because you're an evangelist, doesn't, not an evangelist, doesn't mean you don't have to share your faith. We're all called to share our faith, whether it's with our family, our friends. So I believe one of the roles of the evangelist is to equip all of us to help share our faith. Writing to Timothy, Paul said, keep your head in all situations. Timothy was a pastor. He's known as a pastor. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. I am not an evangelist. But I have long felt a burden to do the work of an evangelist. Therefore I've had to rely on apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists to teach me, to equip me as to how I can better be a witness for Christ. But there are those like Stephen, I know, you just got a gift as an evangelist. And God will call and use you in that way. My observation and my understanding from scripture is that there are various expressions and levels of a gift. So for example, I don't believe there is a teaching gift. I believe there are a variety of teaching gifts. The definition that uh, Peter Wagner uses to communicate, should be to communicate, not to communicate, communicated, to communicate information relevant to the health and ministry of the body and its members in such a way that others will learn. I have something of a teaching gift. People have affirmed that for me, I'm not always so sure. 
But I wouldn't open my mouth in the presence of some of the teachers I've sat under. If you've ever heard John Ortberg teach, John Ortberg is an amazing Bible teacher. And then the Apostle Paul is a teacher on a whole other level. I read some time ago that um, there are actually two different words in Scripture relating to the word teacher in the New Testament. One is a teacher like Paul who is bringing new and fresh revelation and understanding. And then you get to someone like me and it's more like a, a reteacher. I'm just picking up what someone else has taught, what we've been taught, and, and sharing that on. So I'm not teaching, I'm reteaching. I don't think there's anything new and fresh in what I bring. And in fact, often most of you are sitting there going, I know that. And if it's like me, it's like, yeah, but I need to be reminded of that. I've also had the opportunity to, many years ago, I used to read lots and lots of books. I don't read so much um, books these days, so many books. And I remember reading some books and I thought, oh man, I just want to hear this guy preach. He was such an incredible teacher. And I sat under his teaching and I'm going, what happened to the gift? I think of Derek Prince. Derek Prince wrote some incredible teaching. But I used to go back to sleep to him. When, when, when we were in training college, we used to have to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and 6 o'clock is not my time, and we used to go up and do our daily duties. And so at 5 to 6, the alarm would go off, and Rima would come on, and Derek Prince would be on, and by 6 o'clock, I'm out to it again. He's not the most dynamic preacher, but he's an incredible teacher. He is gifted in communication and teaching, but it's different. Some people are gifted to teach in a small group. Some are gifted to teach as an itinerant teacher and, and need to use their gift well by travelling the world and bringing teachings. I apply that same principle across all of the gifts. I believe that there are various manifestations of each of the gifts. Then Paul says, if we do this, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. If we function as a unified body, as part of the wider body of Christ, according to the gifts that Christ has given us and the calling and leading that is ours, we will mature. We won't be led astray by fads or by falsehoods. Instead, we will grow strong and healthy. How often the church is led by fads and false teaching. don't know how many others you picked up this week. The Anglican leadership in the UK, I think it is, have come out and said we really want to encourage, you know, the gender-neutral terms for God. And if someone said, well, we tried that in the 80s and it didn't work, it won't work now. Jesus said, our Father. 
It's not, you know, again, we come back to what we've just been teaching through Genesis. In the beginning, God created man in his image. Male and female, he created them. His image is not carried by the male. His image is carried by the male and female together. But God still presents himself as a father. And Jesus Christ still came as a man. And so if Jesus says, when you pray, pray our Father in heaven, I'll stick to that. But how easily we get caught up in these sidetracks rather than holding to the truth of the gospel. We need to be the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus in the places where he leads us. And he has given us gifts so that we can do that and be that. This whole journey starts in this, in this chapter in unity where he says be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace and it ends in unity from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work you can't have unity at the beginning without the unity at the end that's how that unity, the unity is created by God's grace and maintained by our working together, again, by his grace. But it's all accomplished through diversity. One of the things I love about this congregation is the diversity that God is bringing into this place. But the unity that comes with that one of the key passages in the Bible that brings teachings on spiritual gifts is Romans 12. And it begins with this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And again, it's what you touched on right at the beginning of the service, Stephen, when you talked about the, the young man who came and threw himself at the feet of Jesus. What must I do to be good? What must I do to be saved? good teacher and when Jesus said go sell all you have that's not a rule to follow that was a heart test this man went away sad because he was very rich so it is a matter of what's got your heart what stops you from offering your body as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God so don't deny your gifts my mum used to say, I don't have any gifts. Well, I used to listen to my mum sing. I've listened to a lot of people sing over time. And some of them go, that's beautiful. But when my mum sang, it would bring tears. There was an anointing when she sang. The other thing would be, we used to have a church service on a Sunday night, so it would finish about 8.30. And when we were, like out of here, 50 odd years ago, and we would uh, go, hey, why does everyone come around to our house? My mum wouldn't go, oh, if you'd asked me last week, mum would say, yeah, sure, no problem. And 30 or 40 young people would traipse around our house and mum would quickly put together some supper. My mum had a gift of hospitality. And she goes, but everybody does that. It's like, no, not everybody does that. It's so easy to deny the gift that you have because it's not significant. It's not important. But every gift is significant. Don't diminish your gifts. 
And don't use your gifts to serve yourself. Remember a few weeks ago, the old people had come to a plant in China and they decided to settle there and make a name for themselves. How easy it is with our gifts to make a name for ourselves. It always concerns me a little bit. We've got this evangelist coming. We've got this prophet coming. It's like, yeah, I get what you're saying. But I sometimes get a little bit concerned by that. Don't use your gifts to serve yourself, your purposes, or your agenda. They were given to you, but they were given to you for a greater purpose. They're not yours. They were given to the body through you. They are his gifts given to you to serve his purposes. And when we use them in that way, we all benefit, and the body of Christ is built up. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.